I have really been looking forward to this study tonight. Uh, such such an in, intriguing topic that we're going to be looking at. I told you two or three weeks ago that we're taking a few weeks to go deeper, to kind of dive deeper into the book of Joshua. I'm preaching through Joshua on Sunday mornings uh, and on Sunday nights for a few weeks at least. We wanted to dig deeper into that book because when you come to Joshua, if you're honest as you're reading, you realize that Joshua raises some disturbing questions. It's a fascinating book, no doubt, but it raises some disturbing questions. So we spent two weeks talking about the conquest of Canaan. If you were not here, those uh, studies are available online. I would encourage you to, to watch that. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the lady we, we were speaking about this morning. Tonight, we're going to turn our attention to Rahab. So open your Bibles to chapter 2 of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2. Open your Bibles and let's see how this turns out. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Now, let's just pause here and I might ask for your participation a little bit tonight. By the way, does this sound okay? It sounds a little different to me. Does it sound okay to you guys? Okay, all right. Brad, if it starts getting funky, let me know. Raise my hand. Raise your hand. All right. So Joshua, son of Nun, notice this this word. He secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So my immediate question would be, why was he secretly doing this. Now, this is just speculation. I want to emphasize this. It's just speculation, but remember the last time they went to look over the land was many years ago, 40 years ago, when Joshua was a much younger man, and he went with how many people to go check out the land? Twelve. And out of those twelve, ten came back with a negative report, and only two came back with a positive report, Joshua and Caleb. So how many spies did he send out this time? Do you think maybe he learned something from the previous time? Sent out two spies, but this time he sent them out secretly. Because last time, remember, Moses made a big deal. We're sending out 12 people. and They're going to go do recon. They're going to come back and give us this big report. And when they came back, everybody knew about it. And everybody heard the report. And, and the whole crowd was swayed by 10 people. So Joshua said, Shorter's translation, Joshua said, we ain't doing that again. Joshua said, I'm sending out two people. Secretly. And I'm going to give them this instruction. Go look over the land. Let me know what you find out. Go look over the land. Then he says, especially Jericho. Now, we don't have any problem with that. But it's the next part of the sentence that gives us heartburn. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, in case you've got some kind of a study Bible that might have a little footnote there, I will say to you that Josephus and a few other early sources refer to Ahab or Rahab as an innkeeper. However, it's pretty clear from Scripture she was far more than an innkeeper. When you look at Scripture... She was part of what has been called the world's oldest occupation. And the Bible doesn't try to cover that up. 
The Bible does not cover up the fact that she had a sordid past. In fact, three times just in the book of Joshua. Chapter 2 verse 1, chapter 6 verse 17, and chapter 6 verse 25. Three times in the book of Joshua she is called a harlot or a prostitute. Depending on your translation. I like what Ray Pritchard has said about that. He said, and I quote, Some stories in the Bible just don't quite fit. And this is one of them. Uh, let, me, let me read that to you one more time. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Some stories in the Bible just don't quite fit. I mean, Daniel in the lion's den, that fits. Rahab the harlot, not so much. We admire David for killing the, the giant Goliath. But it's hard to admire Rahab for telling a lie. We teach our children to sing Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. But I haven't found any songs about Rahab yet. This is one of those verses early in the book, that immediately presents us with a problem. Because it's one of those verses that just doesn't seem to fit. So the question, the obvious question, is this one. What are two nice Jewish men doing in a Gentile house of prostitution? Now, I will say to you that When you read Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, I will say to you that it doesn't say they did anything wrong. But just the fact that they went to a house of prostitution and stayed there should cause us to say, what were they doing? What were they thinking? Why were they there? So I'm going to give you four possible answers to that question. Uh, the first one is this. Some would say, well, they went there by mistake. I mean, think about it. Uh, that's probably unlikely, but they'd never been to Jericho. They'd never been in that city. Maybe they, they went there by mistake. Again, that's highly unlikely, probably, because they were going to spy out the land, and, and you know, it's just unlikely that they went there by mistake. But some would suggest that. Number two, some say they went there for the same reason that other men went there. I'm not going to get into that, but I, my response to that would be that's also very unlikely because Joshua, I believe, chose two of his best men to go do recon and bring him back this accurate report. I think it's highly unlikely that the two men that he chose, two of his best men, would go there for the same reason other men would go there. Number three... Some would say they went there because it was a good listening post. That this could be the place where you could find out what's going on in the city. That a lot of people are hanging out there. A lot of prominent men, perhaps, hanging out from the city. And this would be the place to go hang out and try to find out, try to hear what's happening in the city. That's possible. It's plausible. But here's the fourth answer to that question. And of course, the one that I believe is the accurate answer is this. I think God sent them there. I really do. I think God sent them there. I believe they went there because it was a divine appointment. I want to read verses 2 through 11. Just follow along as I read. 
Read the story real closely with me, beginning in verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So word has gotten out. Somehow, word has gotten out that there are some spies in Jericho. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Somehow, the king understands where they are. And he knows who Rahab is. And so he sends word to her. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Parentheses. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down on, for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Look at verse 10 and 11. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Shihon and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. The Bible doesn't spell out, doesn't explain to us why the spies ended up there. But it is clear if you read the text that once they got there, it was clear that God was already at work in Rahab's heart. It's interesting, the one place that they went in Jericho was the one place where God was at work in the heart of this lady. Rahab was probably the only one in Jericho who at that moment was willing to trust the God of Israel. Now, I want you to notice how God works. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. I want you to notice how God works. This is, this is so encouraging to see how God works. He, watch this. He can speak to a godly leader like Joshua. Or he can speak to an ungodly harlot like Rahab. He can use a man of great, who is greatly respected. Or he can use a woman who has a bad reputation. Can I say to you tonight that God is sovereign and the events of life and the circumstances of, of life and even the people in our lives do not limit God at all. God's not limited. God's not hindered. God can use anybody to, and do anything to accomplish His will. Now, another issue, a side issue that we'll deal with very quickly is that Rahab was clearly lying to protect these people. Would you agree with that? I mean, she just told a flat-out lie. Now, we look at this story as seasoned Christians, and we think, well, that's not right. Why did she lie? Why did she lie to her own people to protect the enemy? 
Here's what I want to make sure you understand. I'm not trying to justify her lying, but I want you to understand the moment. In that moment, she was doing more than just deciding whether or not to lie. In that moment, she was deciding, she was doing more than deciding whether or not to hide two spies. In that moment, she was taking what she knew about God, and listen carefully, she was taking what little she knew about God, and she was turning it into faith. In that moment, she was taking the little information that she had about God, and she was turning it into a decision to trust Him. She was actually shaping her future. She did not realize it fully at that moment, but she was also shaping the future of her family. Rahab, it says in chapter 2, had clearly heard what God had done. And in that moment, when those two spies... Can I remind you something? She didn't know they were going to come show up at her house. But in that moment, when all of a sudden she realized who is in her house... In that moment, she decided to abandon the little g gods of Canaan and put her faith in the one true God of Israel. So she did what she needed to do to protect these men who represented the one true God. That's why chapter 6 verse 25 is such a special verse. I, I want you to... I, I talked about this a lot today, so we're not going to take a lot of time there. But I, I want to call your attention to something in chapter 6, verse 25, that I did not talk about this morning. I started to, and I decided I would save it and, and talk about it tonight. In chapter 6, of course, is the story of how the battle of Jericho unfolds and what happens to Rahab and all of that. In chapter 6, verse 25, we read these words. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, if you have the NIV, look up here for a moment. If you have the NIV, you see there, there's the verse... I'm not going to write it all out. And then in, in the NIV, there's this long hyphen. And then there's, there's more words. You see that? That long hyphen, again, it, it's not translated like this in some of the other translations. Some of your translations will use, will use a colon instead of this long hyphen. Some of your translations will use uh, some type of a colon there. But what this is called right here, this long hyphen, it's called an M E-M, an M hyphen. It is a, a type of punctuation. That's all it is. It's just a, a, simply a, a punctuation mark that's used to indicate a pause. The punctuation mark that is used to indicate an interruption. An interruption in the thought. I remember, I cannot remember who taught me this. I, I think it was a seminary professor, and you've heard me say this before. He said, when you see that M, when you see that long hyphen in a verse, he said, it's like the author is, is writing whatever he's writing. Then he comes to a point where he pauses. And when he pauses, he just does that. 
It's an indication that he's thinking about something. It's an indication that whatever he has just written has caused him to pause and to reflect on what he's just written. Look at the text. Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her were saved because she hid the men, the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jerusalem. Pause. Hyphen. And then it's as if he, uh, my seminary professor said, it's almost as if the author is writing, he pauses and he puts the, he puts the pen down and he's marveling at what he's just written. He's marveling at this, this point. In my mind, I can see him just kind of shaking his head in amazement. And then writing these words. And she lives among the people of Israel to this day. It's a fascinating thought for the author. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She wasn't just rescued at Jericho. She lives among the Israelites, he said. To this day, as I said this morning, a Canaanite prostitute could have been easily stoned according to the law of Moses. But she was not only saved from destruction, she became an adopted daughter in the family of God. And when the author was writing about her story, he comes to this point and he pauses. And then maybe with a smile on his face or shaking his head, he writes these words of amazement and she lives among the Israelites until this day. There's a Hebrew word for that. You know what it is? Wow! But this is where it gets really good. The story doesn't end there. Look up here. The story does not end. You see, she lives among the Israelites until this day. Period. But the story does not end there. This is where it gets good. The Gospel of Matthew reveals that Rahab didn't just live with God's people. But something more amazing than that happened. The Gospel of Matthew reveals that Rahab actually lost her label. I love this part of her story. Would you open God's Word to the New Testament, the first book of the New Testament, first chapter of the New Testament, and it is in the first chapter that we have the genealogy of Jesus. In the genealogy of Jesus, it says, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, would list this genealogy to show who Jesus really is. It's interesting who is in his genealogy. You know where this is heading, I'm sure, but let me just walk you through this. And she lives among the Israelites until this day. And sometime, living among the Israelites, somewhere living among the, the Israelites, she met a man named Salmon.
Now the Bible doesn't tell us very much of anything about him. Certainly doesn't tell us about how they met or anything like that. But apparently, her sin-stained past did not matter to him. He didn't see a former prostitute. He saw a beautiful woman of faith. He didn't see what she used to be. He saw who she was now that God had changed her life. And he took her as his bride. Verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Period. Did you catch that? She's no longer Rahab the harlot. Now she is Rahab the wife of Salmon, or Rahab the mother of Boaz. By the way, if the name Boaz sounds familiar to you, you read about Boaz in the book of Ruth. The story is kind of a remarkable story. Boaz and Ruth... All right, let's, let's trace it out. Salmon, you help me here. On, look at the text. So Salmon married uh, Rahab, and they had a son, and his name was Boaz. Now, what was the next one? Boaz. Boaz got married. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, he married Ruth, and they had a son named Obed. And then later, Obed grew up and he got married and he had a son named Let's stop there for a moment. Salma met Rahab one day. Didn't matter who she used to be. He was in love with who she is. Her sordid past didn't matter to him. He saw a beautiful woman of faith who loved God, and he married her. And God gave them a son, and they named him Boaz. Boaz met another woman of faith named Ruth. Together they had a son, Obed. Obed became the father of Jesse. And... Jesse had a son. Actually, Jesse had several sons. But the one son that Jesse had that is in this genealogy is David. As in King David. That's a pretty big deal. King David. Think about this for a moment. Look at, look at verse 5 and 6. Think about this. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Let this sink in for just a moment. The great King David. His family tree included a Canaanite prostitute. David's mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother 
with somebody you would not want in your family tree. Hmm. The interesting thing, though, is that it doesn't stop there. Verse 16 blows me away because Matthew continues this lineage. And after David, he keeps talking about all these people who came from David and then the next person, you know, Solomon, then the next person, Rehoboam, and and on and on. And he gets down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So from David, we eventually through the lineage, come to Jesus. In other words, one of the ancestors of Jesus was a prostitute. So let's go back to the question we asked several minutes ago. Why was it that those two spies ended up at the prostitute's house? I think it was the divine appointment. I think God sent them there. See, generations had looked upon Rahab with scorn. But Rahab was actually one of the fortunate women to actually find mercy in God and from her lineage we can trace not just the king of Israel David but also the king of kings is in her family tree Rahab is the perfect example of how God can change a life and use that life for his glory Would you look up here for a moment? Can I just pause for a moment and remind you that the New Testament, when you come to the New Testament, they don't try to keep Jesus' family background a secret. But can can I just blow your mind for a moment? Not only does the New Testament admit, yes, this was Jesus' family background, but can I remind you that actually it takes it another step beyond this in the New Testament to say, let me tell you something else about this lady. Her faith in God was so complete. Her faith in God was so great. Her faith in God was so absolute that she is included in the hall of faith the book of Hebrews. Uh, let me show you this. Go over to the right. Hebrews chapter 11. The great hall of faith chapter. All these men and women who did amazing things by faith. For example, just just to read a couple by for example, verse 7. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Uh, Verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. The entire 11th chapter is the chapter of faith. It's the hall of faith. These famous men and women who exhibited absolute faith in God. And it's interesting, when you read the entire chapter, you'll find out there's only two women mentioned in the whole chapter. One was a lady named Sarah. Anybody know 
who Sarah was. Who was she the wife of? Abraham. Read about it in verse 11. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Sarah and her husband Abraham had such great faith in God that God enabled them to have not only a child, but descendants through whom he blessed the whole world. We know that story. That's Sarah. On the other end of the... On the other end of the spectrum, guess who you have? The other lady mentioned in this hall of faith is Rahab. Verse 31. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Here we have that title, that label again. And the reason is because to, to explain her great faith. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So two women, the wife of Abraham, a lady of great faith, and Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. Now track this carefully. If you're taking notes, write these two things down. Sarah. Let's talk about Sarah real quickly. Sarah was a godly woman who was the wife of the founder of the Hebrew nation. Point number two, uh, under Sarah. God used her dedicated body to bring Isaac into the world. Sarah. Rahab, on the other hand. Rahab was an ungodly Gentile woman who worshipped pagan gods, little g-gods. She sold her body for money. Humanly speaking, these two ladies have nothing in common. Humanly speaking, they are as far from one another as you can imagine. But from God's viewpoint, from God's viewpoint, Sarah and Rahab are very similar because they are both women who place their absolute faith in God. Both women placed their absolute faith in God for different reasons and in different ways. But they both had such absolute, total trust in God that they were listed in the great hall of faith. So if you ponder her inclusion in this hall of faith list, you realize how remarkable the story is. Just, just listen to this list of people. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah... Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, then Rahab. I would say to you that if you're listed among Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, you're in pretty good company. But there's three times I mentioned today, there's three times that Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1, Hebrews 11. There's a third time that Rahab is mentioned in the New Testament. I want you to go to, over to the right, one book, and find the book of James chapter 2. 
James chapter 2. It's interesting that not only does the Bible link Sarah and Rahab in the Hebrews, but in James 2, she's also connected to Sarah's husband, Abraham, as an example of faith. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Here, let me just pause for a moment to give you the context. James is talking about the, the correlation between faith and deeds. And Abraham was known as a great man of faith, but James is going to make the case, but not only did he believe God, he obeyed God. There's this connection between faith and deeds. And so he's using Abraham as an example of this connection with faith and deeds. So again, let's pick up the story. Verse 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions are working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. James is making this case that if you have real faith, it will be connected to real actions. Okay? And then verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not just by faith alone. And then he says in verse 25, using Rahab as an example. In the same way... Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We're not going to get into that discussion of what James is talking about. I just want you to see, here is Rahab mentioned the final time in the Bible, in the New Testament, three times in the New Testament, final time in the Bible, and she's connected with Abraham. His faith and his deeds. And he, the writer of James, James uses Rahab as another example of faith and deeds. I, I want to close by saying this to you, a couple of things. First of all, the most important thing about Rahab was not her profession. The most important thing about Rahab was her profession of faith. That's what changed her life. That's what put her in the Bible. Her profession of faith changed her life. Could I say to you, that's the most important thing about all of us. Any of us. The most important thing is our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that Rahab is in the Bible and in the lineage of Jesus to show us that no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. That everyone is included. Everyone has the potential to be included in God's family. Everyone. Anyone has the potential to be included in God's family. So here's the bottom line. If you are a Rahab, and I don't mean that literally, but if you are a Rahab and there is sin in your past, there is hope for your future because of Jesus. 
And also, if you know a Rahab, and again, I'm not talking literally, but if you know a Rahab, never give up praying for them. Because all it takes is a moment of clear faith for their life to be changed over the rest of their life. I guess the old hymn says it best. Remember the hymn, To God Be the Glory? O perfect redemption, the purchase of love, to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. The vilest offender who truly believes, that moment from Jesus pardon receives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for your grace that is so real. That your mercy is so absolutely astounding that we see it displayed even in the family tree of our Savior. Thank you for reminding us this morning and tonight that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus when we put our absolute faith in you. We thank you and praise you for that in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for being here.